Welcome to the Sharp 600 Podcast, brought to you by Covers.com. My name is Joe Fortenball. This is episode 133, your college football spectacular. Thank you so much for your time today. As always, from the bottom of our hearts, it is greatly appreciated. In just a couple of moments, we are going to welcome in a guy I've been a fan of for a very long time. More than 10 years, he is one of the best college football writers in the business His name is Adam Kramer. He works for Bleacher Report. He runs the ultra-popular Twitter account, Kegs and Eggs. This dude has been on my radar for years, and I finally get a chance to talk to him today. We're going to break down all the big games, Ohio State, Penn State, Notre Dame, Stanford, all that good stuff. We're also going to talk about what I believe is the greatest tradition in college football. And Kramer was there for it live last year. He's going to give you the full rundown. But we begin... As always, with this week's installment of the Upset Alert. Last week, nailed it. East Carolina, a 21-point underdog, falls by one score to South Florida. They stay well within the number. It was absolute smooth sailing from start to finish, which means the Upset Alert is now 2-1 and on the season. This week, we turn our attention to my backyard. The California Golden Bears are catching two and a half against the Oregon Ducks Saturday, 1030 Eastern, 730 Pacific at California Memorial Stadium. This right here is your classic letdown spot for Oregon, who was hammering Stanford last Saturday night in Eugene by a score of 24 to 7 late in the third quarter before a questionable call from the officials triggered a series of unfortunate mistakes that resulted in an improbable 38-31 overtime win for the Cardinal. After blowing a marquee game that was in the bag, it's going to be awfully difficult to get up for a Saturday night road date at Cal against the Golden Bears program that is not only undefeated at 3-0, but is also rested and healthy thanks to last weekend's bye. Note that Oregon is 0-13-1 against the spread over its last 14 conference road games when they're not getting more than four points. Additionally, the Ducks are an abysmal 8-22-1 against the spread over their last 31 games overall. Meanwhile, Cal is 5-0-1 against the spread at home under second-year head coach Justin Wilcox, who, mind you, should be on the radar of several big marquee programs, hint, hint, USC, that might be looking for a new head coach. The kicker here... I'm going to be in attendance. And when Joe Fortenball is in attendance at a Pac-12 game that he bet on this season, he is 1-0 straight up and 1-0 against the spread. Thank you, Stanford over USC. It's Cal in an upset, so grab the two and a half points with the Bears. I have waited a long time to talk to our next guest. He covers college football at Bleacher Report, and you can follow him on Twitter at kegs and eggs. Adam Kramer joining us here on the Sharp 600. Adam, I've been trying forever to get you on. Thank you so much for your time today, man. I'm a big fan. This means a lot to me. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. And and, and likewise, and it's it's just crazy to me how quickly this season moves along now. Like, we're, we wait and wait and wait, and then all of a sudden, like, 
we, we stumble into like a quarter of the season, right? Like it, it, it goes way too fast for me, and I'm sure it does the same for you. Oh, absolutely. Before we jump into this, your Twitter account has for years been one of my favorites, <laughs> and I'm going to reference a tweet that had me crying for close to a week, and I don't think it's going to come off well on a podcast, but I really don't <laughs> care. It was, and I'm sure you remember this, 2013 Bama and Notre Dame in the national championship game. And Bama rolls Notre Dame 42-14, to 14, but it's 28 nothing at the half. And Alabama has just freight trained Notre Dame. And at <laughs> halftime, Brian Kelly is getting interviewed, and he just has this glazed look in his eyes. And you threw out this tweet with a picture of him, and it just basically said, you know, the reporter asking him, what went wrong in the first half? And brackets, Brian Kelly, light cigarette, takes deep drag. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> Do you remember that? I do remember that. Here's why I remember that, because I picked Notre Dame to, to win that game. It remains my worst college football uh, pick ever, uh, really bad. And I remember just the whole time, like, in that first half, my Twitter mentions, like, I was Brian Kelly. <laughs> I remember feeling that way, feeling like Brian Kelly, because I was that was some of the best and worst things I've ever heard people say to me on the Internet. So I do remember that. Thank you. Yeah. Man, also, like, with, with kegs and eggs, I get asked this, too, now. Like, I, I came up with that at a time when I was trying to blog and had a blog, kegs and eggs blog, that I kind of criminally ignore now. Um, and, and, look, I have, like, two kids. I'm married, okay? I have a mortgage. I'm, I'm like, a, you know, turning into, like, an adult. I still feel like I can pull that off. Yeah. Like, I still feel like a kid at heart. There's going to be a time, though, when, when I may have to change it, like, Hey, look at this 50 year old dude with his kegs and eggs handle. What the heck, the heck is that? Um, but for the moment, it, it's going to stay for a long, long time. No, no way. Because there are a lot of us, and even though some of us maybe have never met face to face, we've all known of each other's presences online for more than 10 years now. And we all got our start, you know, grinding out in the most obscure ways. And then either people wash out and go do something else or they climb up the media ranks. And for those of us who are still standing after all these years, like that's a testament to all of us. Like I look yeah. at kegs and eggs and I feel pride in that because I've been following that for so long. If you change that, I'll feel compelled to change my career as well. <laughs> no, it's actually a great way to put it. Like there is some nostalgia here, right? Like before it was me uh, writing, you know, blog posts about, you know, people getting kicked in the groins with football <laughs> and, and, like, you know, like 25 people would read it, and that was okay. Like, I still like doing it. So, yeah, part of you is, you know, that's like the lone part of me that is left that hasn't been sort of commercialized and repackaged. Um, <laughs> but I love Twitter, too. So, no, I, I yeah, man, it's fun. It is fun. And truthfully, with stuff like this, college football is, is second to none. Like, college football and NBA Twitter are, are by far – the best interactive Twitters that I that I deal with in college football specifically, there's nothing like it on a, on a Saturday when everyone's going at it. it. I still love love that many years later. No doubt. Now, before we jump into some of these games, I wanted to ask you about one thing. Um, I know you have two kids, two young kids. I became a dad almost two years ago for the first time, and something changed with me with that. Now, I'm not going to get too sentimental, but I wanted to ask you about what it's like to cover an Iowa game at Kinnick Stadium during the moment when the entire stadium turns towards the children's hospital and waves to the kids, because ever oh. since that started, I cry every time I see it. And you went and wrote about it and it was extraordinarily powerful. I'd like to know what it's like to be there in person. Well, man, um, 
gosh, every time I talk about it, I almost choke up too. Right. We'll see if a year later. It's it's been a year since I wrote this story, and almost exactly a year. And I and I went back and read it, and uh, man, it's hard still to read. So you know that opportunity came together quickly. I've got ties with Iowa. I didn't think there'd be any chance they'd let me up there. They did. And really the goal of that was to kind of bring people on the other side of the glass. But, you know, and I, and I wasn't mentally and emotionally prepared for this, to be honest. The day before that, you know, I spent the day in the hospital dealing and interviewing kids and parents, and I, I was rocked by that. I had to kind of gather myself because I could travel around, do these interviews, nothing ever like that. The day itself, you know, was overwhelming. And I knew in there that I had this a tremendous story because you're just writing down what you see. And what I was seeing was just un, so moving in so many ways, positive, negative, and or, you know, everything that I left there. And I remember, um, you know, I thought I was going to stay for the whole game because the wave comes after the end of the first quarter. And they asked us, you know, asked me afterwards, like, hey, you can stay kind of close to halftime and then you can go. And I remember, I'll never forget this, I was so – moved and just kind of overwhelmed i i walked out of the hospital i didn't even go to the game i was supposed to stay in iowa city that night i got in my car and i drove home you know and man i i just wanted to hug my kid and so as a parent it it changes drastically and that is that is an opportunity in a lifetime what they're doing there is so much more important than football and and i was happy and thrilled that just for a day i got to go experience it and i I hope, you know, others, every time people write about it, talk about it, do video on it, I will read it because that is such a cool thing I was doing. Best thing best thing in college football, and there's so much greatness that comes with college football, but as a Penn State grad, Iowa has been a thorn in my side for as long as I can remember, and I don't care about any of that anymore. I root for the Hawkeyes. I watch those home games, especially the Saturday night ones, strictly for that moment. It means that much. It is that powerful. I just I can't get enough of it. It's it's like it's addictive. And and I thought you encapsulated it perfectly while you were there. And I'm glad we could start with that as we transition to some of the games this weekend. Now, the first thing I wanted to ask you about. Tua and Alabama. It feels as if every bookmaker I talk to has reached a point where they are now power ranking this team higher than any college football team they have ever power ranked. The conversation starting that this may go down as one of the all-time great college football teams. How do you break this team down knowing Nick Saban finally has this type of offense? It's, it's really hard to do. I talked to a bunch of former players last week about this. Because I'm, I'm, I think everybody's a little bit shook <laughs> by seeing Alabama with an offense. This has like been your vintage bullet constrictor. Put a team in the vice, turn it, tighten it. Eventually, you win. Going to have some ugly games there. Um, this is different, and and I think tr- truthfully, people who have been around this program are are still figuring out exactly what it's going to look like. They've never had a quarterback under Saban anything close to this, anything close to it. And also, I think that's overlooked in the whole Tua phenomenon. Um, you know, you, you have a spread this weekend, like, you know, 47, 48, 49 points is how good everyone is around him. Like, this is the best group of wide receivers they've ever had. There's not a Julio Jones on this team, but this is the best collection of wide receivers they've ever had. Best running back group I think they've ever had. It's a great offensive line. I think it's the best defense they've ever had. In fact, I don't think it's in the top five of saving defenses, at least not right now. But when you can be this overwhelming offensively and do the things they can do, 
I can understand why people are struggling to deal with it and while and why point spreads against a team like UOL, who, who's not good, but certainly not bad, is reaching like a, you know, FCS West, to use an NCAA football uh, video game uh, mentioned there, it, it's reaching that threshold. So it, it is wild. And, you know, A&M is a good team. I mean, they pushed Clemson to the brink and were just pretty much dismantled. Uh, against Alabama. The schedule will be interesting, but is there anyone really on that regular season schedule that gives you major cause for pause? LSU looks good, but I, I don't think Joe Burrow's the guy to do it. Um, maybe. Auburn looks good, but the loss to LSU kind of hurts. Georgia, the game in the SEC championship, be the one I'd, I'd look at. And, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Granted, these are 18 to 22 year old kids. Things happen. There will be close games. Tua will throw an interception at some point. You will have a bad game. It's just right now they are they are cooking, man, and it is a lot of fun to watch. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Is there anyone from outside that group capable of making serious noise when it comes to the national championship picture? I still, you know, there's a there's a Florida State Jameis Winston like vibe with Clemson this year, and and what I mean by that is. And, and the same thing with, with an Ohio State team that had Ezekiel Elliott, and that was one of the better teams after they won the title, ch- title um, talent-wise they had. There's this kind of a lackadaisical, lackluster feel to Clemson, which is why I think Trevor Lawrence was, was named the starter and Kelly Bryant is out. But, but to be quite honest, I think the reason Dabo is solidifying that position, that's, that hindered Ohio State. Uh, the whole Jameis thing was just bizarre because that was a great Florida State team with Ramsey and others. There's just this bizarre feeling around that team right now. They can't get, get it right. But talent-wise, they're, they are absolutely fantastic. And I think this team will turn it on at some point. There's too many good players. I mean, they had four to five, you know, first, second-round picks in, like, their front seven. And I think Trevor Lawrence, who I've seen in person, is going to be just a, a, a freak. I mean, that guy is a star. So if, if Lawrence is as good as I think he can be, I still am a believer in Clemson. But, yeah, as a fan of the sport, I'm a little concerned by, you know, sort of the lack of parity. You get week-to-week parity in college football, but the lack of just general parity, there is a, a, a kind of a feeling right now of a formality when it comes to the playoff, and I, I don't think that's good. It is what it is, and these teams are great, and I love watching good competition, but I, I'm kind of with you. The, the group of teams that we're talking about feels pretty small in the moment. I don't have a betting angle on the Syracuse-Clemson game, but how sneaky good is Trevor Lawrence versus Eric Dungy going to look? It's, it's, yeah. Oh, man. I, Trevor Lawrence is like, is he already a star? Like, this is what I keep. I mean, I feel like he's a big deal. Like, this is like your most coveted quarterback ever. I, I actually liked Clemson in this game earlier in the week. The line's kind of gone up. And Syracuse has been fun. You can do the whole revenge thing from last year if you want. They played in a gymnasium with no air conditioning. It's hard for me to draw anything from like the, the that game last year. I, I just think Syracuse, I think this is going to be a rough one for Syracuse. I'm not sure if I jump and, and lay all those points, especially if it continues to go up. But I think this is a a big, big win for Clemson, and this is kind of one of those games that makes people realize, okay, this team this team should be all right after all. Ohio State laying three and a half at Penn State. This is going to be a big game for Happy Valley. Penn State has given Ohio State fits over the last few years. Always a great Big Ten matchup. Does Ohio State have enough to cover the number at Happy Valley? Or actually, more specifically, does Penn State have enough to hang in this game? Yeah, they do. I mean, it, these are teams averaging 55 points a game. I mean, this is not your your typical Ohio State-Penn State game. And um, 
Talked to a lot of people about Dwayne Haskins this week, who I think is fascinating. Um, and, and the kid is legit. He's going to be really, really good. I, I think you could have a basketball score on your hands. Because I'll go back. You know, I, Ohio State has corrected some things defensively since that first week, no question. But Oregon State was finding space against that secondary. I still have questions about Ohio State's defense. And Trace McSorley is a magician, man. He is fun. I'm not sure why we don't talk about him more. Um, environment is going to be as good of a college football environment as we have this year. Dwayne Haskins is, you know, although he's only started a handful of games, I love what I saw from him when he came in against Michigan last year when J.T. Barrett was hurt. I know that seems like an odd thing to say, but he's got chops. Like, I think, I think he genuinely does. That will help them. Um, this line has given me – I've been back and forth all weekend. I could see people who watched Ohio State put up these huge scores and beat TCU. Penn State struggled for a while against Illinois, and people are saying, oh, Ohio State's got this. I, I don't feel that way at all. I think this is going to be a close game. One of those rare big-time games that actually lives up to the hype. Um, I'd probably take the points with Penn State here, and yet I, I think Ohio State probably ekes out a win. I, I think it's going to be that close, honestly, which is why I'm going to back off. LSU laying 12 against Ole Miss this weekend. It's not one of the bigger games on the schedule, but how many of us owe Ed Orgeron an apology? Um, I know I'm one of them. I bet against him in the Miami game. I bet against him in the Auburn game. The guy is crushing my pocketbook, and yet, yet when LSU hired him and gave him Les Miles' job, I thought this is going to be a disaster, and here we are, LSU cruising along. How legit are these guys? Yeah, and, and yet there's still some uneasiness with games like this, isn't there? Like, I'm with you. Like, I, I feel like we do owe him an apology. He's done a great job. But I sure as hell don't trust him here. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's just, and yet, you know, Joe Burrow, who's been good, has not exactly, you know, is, is in that, you know, every other pass completion sort of thing going on. Like, this is not sexy, and yet it works. And I think that's sort of the problem that we've had with Orgeron is, it is kind of an ugliest brand of football, sort of Alabama light, diet Bama in the way that they're winning games. But in terms of like strength of schedule, in terms of wins, I mean, he, he's earned this. And he did a really good job last year. So the, the things he has to avoid and the reason that, you know, the coaches who, who we talk about, the greatest coach in the country, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, like they, they don't typically lose games like this. Like they somehow manage to avoid that, that slip up in kind of sleepy week. This feels like a sleepy week, to be honest. This feels like a game that will be close. And and if that's the case, I, I'd be interested. I, I still don't think Ole Miss is all that good. I like some of their receiving talent. I think it's a fun matchup to watch against the secondary. But, yeah, in terms of point-wise, in terms of Orgeron, he, he's done a really, really nice job. Notre Dame minus 5.5 against Stanford. Tough scheduling spot for the Cardinal. They go to Oregon. They eke one out last week. Some would say lucky. I'm here in the Bay Area, so I will be reserved with my judgment of how that <laughs> game ended. But now you got to travel to South Bend for a Notre Dame team that's had this game circled. Can Stanford hang in this one? Yeah, because that's like their that's like their MO to hang. And they're pretty battle tested this year because it's been ugly. And they've had to kind of hang and thrive. Um, I'll be quite honest with these two teams, and I wrote this in a preview uh, yesterday. We're a month in. I, I don't feel like I know anything about either of these two teams. Like, I know who they, I know who's playing, uh, but I don't know why Bryce Love all of a sudden looks kind of broken. Maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's been hurt. They've been very cryptic with that injury. That's a big deal because he has not looked right from, from his ridiculous standard for the jump. I, Notre Dame made a quarterback change last week, and I thought they may be in trouble against Wake, and they, you know, 
drop a 50 burger. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you getting out of a guy that you've seen only one week? You mentioned, I think, the most important part in this game. What a brutal back-to-back for Stanford. I mean, what a that is a lot of traveling. The cross-country trip is a lot. Um, I think the under is actually a play here. <laughs> I think this game will be ugly. I think it will be close. I like Notre Dame to win, um, but but probably not on the number. I, again, I, I think the under is a pretty good spot here because I do think both of these defenses are all right. Oregon laying two and a half at Cal Memorial Stadium Saturday night. This is a big one for the Golden Bears who have performed admirably under Justin Wilcox. They're undefeated and they're going to get up for this one. Meanwhile, Oregon, as we just mentioned, the heartbreak against Stanford last week might be difficult for the Ducks to get up for this game. Could be a trap situation. Do you like Cal in the upset here? I'm not. Yes, I do. I, I'm not sure a team has changed the, their perception and identity more in about a two-year stretch than Cal is. And this was the Jared Goff, CFL, post big scores, lose, you know, give up 60, score 50. Uh, you know, Wilcox has done an unbelievable job in building a defense. And you look at Cal's, like, statistical numbers, there's nothing that says, like, hmm, this is a team that's going to you know, compete with Justin Herbert, and yet they win. They're, they're really, really economical like, football team. And I mean that as a compliment. I just think they're really good. And I wonder, too, you know, that, that Stanford-Oregon game has some residual effects on both sides. That is a game that Oregon should have won. I'll say, if you can't say it, I will. That's a game that Oregon <laughs> should have won and, and should. And I wonder what the lingering impact will be. So this is a game, if you're just looking from, like, brand awareness, you ask the casual fan who's going to win, they're going to say Oregon uh, easily. I think Cal, despite statistics on offense, again, being sort of iffy, I like what I've seen from man. They're, they're, they're just a really good, balanced team. Follow him on Twitter at Kegs and Eggs. You can find the link in the bio to this podcast. He covers college football, and he does a hell of a job doing it for Bleacher Report. Adam Kramer with us here on the Sharp 600. Adam, it was an honor. Finally, I got a chance to speak college football with you, man. Thank you so much for your time. Safe travels this weekend. I appreciate it, man. Likewise, and, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Don't you worry, son. It will all be over soon. Counting East Carolina's cover against South Florida in last week's upset alert, we went 3-1-1 one, and one on the week. That puts us at a profitable 10-9-1 on the season. Not great, but it's time to keep the pedal to the metal. Here come your picks. All right, game number one, it's Clemson against Syracuse. Total of 66 points Saturday, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, Clemson Memorial Stadium. Even if you don't like to bet, I highly advise you watch at least a portion of this game because it features the most highly touted quarterback prospect in the country in Trevor Lawrence, who was finally named the Tigers starter after four games, and the most exciting player in college football in Syracuse signal caller Eric Dungy, who has led the Orange to a perfect 4-0 record while scoring an average of 49.5 points per game. This matchup is all about showmanship, and the coaches and quarterbacks know it, so expect the fireworks to fly early and often. Play the over of 66 total points, and again, even if you aren't betting, at least tune in for a quarter to watch these two playmakers. Game number two, Texas Tech and West Virginia, total of 74.5, Saturday, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, Jones AT&T Stadium. West Virginia is 3-0, has a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback in Will Greer, and is averaging 42.3 points per game this season. 
Texas Tech has rattled off three straight wins and is averaging 52 points per game this season through four contests. When these two got together last year, the Red Raiders had emerged victorious after a grand total of 81 points were hung on the board. For good measure, the over is 4-0 in Texas Tech's last four conference games and 4-1 in their last five home games. Kansas City San Francisco was our square play of the week last Sunday, and that came up roses. So this week we'll play the over 74.5 total points in Texas Tech, West Virginia. Game number three, Notre Dame laying five and a half against Stanford. Saturday, 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, Notre Dame Stadium. What a brutal scheduling spot for the Cardinal, who had to go to Outson Stadium in Eugene last week for a night game against the Ducks, and now has to travel three time zones east for a night showdown with an Irish squad that is not only out for revenge after last year's 38-20 loss in Palo Alto, but has held the opposition to just 19.3 points per game this season. And as if the spot wasn't bad enough, Stanford has a critical Pac-12 matchup with Utah on deck, so there's no rest for the weary. The Cardinal is just 4-9 and nine against the spread over its last 13 games following a point spread cover, but the pick here is more about the situation than anything else. Lay the 5.5 with the Irish. And finally... Fresno State laying 7.5 against Toledo Saturday, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 Pacific, Bulldog Stadium. Toledo's no joke. The Rockets covered a 48.5 point spread in week one against VMI and then covered a 10.5 point number last weekend in a 63-44 win over Nevada. The problem, however, is threefold. First, Toledo was coming all the way across the country for a late start time against an unfamiliar opponent. Second, the Rockets' conference schedule commences next week against Bowling Green. And third, Fresno has had two weeks to get ready for this game thanks to last weekend's bye. The Bulldogs are 25-1 against the spread over the last 26 games overall, 11-2 against the spread over their last 13 home games, and 11-1 against the spread over the last 12 matchups against teams with a winning record lay the 7.5 with Fresno State. To recap, your upset alert, take the 2.5 with Cal over Oregon, over Clemson-Syracuse, total 66, over Texas Tech-West Virginia, total 74.5, Lay the five and a half with Notre Dame over Stanford. Lay the seven and a half with Fresno State over Toledo. That's a wrap for us. Thanks for tuning in. Be well and best of luck.